Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation. Welcome to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. I'm David Richardson, a partner in Hydrogen Struggles New York office and a member of the financial services practice. I co-lead our global payments, market infrastructure, and data services sector, and in addition, serve as a lead in the crypto and digital asset sector across the Americas. In today's podcast, I'm delighted to speak with Matthew Homer and my colleague Julian Ha. Matt is a former fintech crypto regulator and operator and currently a venture investor and advisor to crypto founders. Matt was the executive director, superintendent, research and innovation at the New York State Department of Financial Services, NYDFS. He was also the head of policy and research at Quovo, which was acquired by Platt. Most recently, he has served as a VC investor and advisor across the crypto space. Julian is a partner in the Hydrogen Struggles Washington, D.C. office and a leader of the Global Government and Policy Association practices. Matt, to kick off this conversation, could you walk us through your first exposure to the crypto sector and talk a little bit about what drew you into this space? Absolutely. And I might have to talk about my first two exposures, which were separated by maybe eight years or so. So, and both of those exposures happened when I was serving as a regulator. The first time was earlier in my career when I was at the FDIC and I was on the policy team and I was junior person at the FDIC at the time. And I basically took it upon myself to sign up for every new fintech product that emerged. This is a very different time period when you could do that. And so I did it with everything, like kind of all the products of that time period, including crypto. And so I signed up for a Coinbase account just to kind of get some experience in the space. And at that time, one of the ways that you could use the crypto in your account was through a partnership with Overstock.com. So I bought just enough crypto, just enough Bitcoin to buy a pencil sharpener on Overstock.com. And I did it. And then Overstock.com told me they had no record of my transaction. But meanwhile, Coinbase had in fact deducted the amount from my account. So it was actually not, it was actually not a great experience. And then I said, this feels really nascent. Like I'm gonna kind of put this to the side for a while. And then I came back to crypto again the second time as a regulator. In the meantime, I had had other roles in the fintech space at the New York State Department of Financial Services. And I think the thing that got me actually very interested about crypto there was the opportunity I saw as a regulator to regulate or supervise the sector in a much more data-driven, digital way than other parts of financial services have been regulated in the past. And that was very exciting for me. And we, in fact, organized a whole tech sprint around it. And so, yeah, those are a couple of ways in which I was first exposed to the space. It started with a pencil sharpener. That kind of blew my mind. Matt, I'd be curious, when leaving NYDFS and moving into the venture world with Nika, what were the kind of key learnings and lessons that you have taken on since moving into that space? Yeah, you know, I think it wasn't that long ago that being kind of a regulator in a venture capacity was sort of unusual, sort of a, a head scratcher. But I think venture has become much more diverse in a lot of different ways, but also in this regard, and particularly around crypto, where regulation is critical, right? It is part of the strategy. It has to be part of the strategy. I found that that regulatory background 
has really served me well within the venture space. And I'd say there are maybe three different capabilities that I've tapped into from my experience as a regulator and I've been able to use now as a venture capitalist. So the first is the ability to explain, to kind of take complicated matters, in this case, regulation, and distill them and explain them to founders, explain them to other investors, and to use those insights to identify opportunities in the market. I'd say the second skill I gained as a regulator was an ability to identify patterns, trends, and gaps across the market. Because as a regulator, you really, you see everything. You don't see everything, but you see a lot, right? And that's a really unique sort of bird's eye perspective that is actually very helpful when investing in the space as well. And then I'd say the third one is just having a really good BS detector as a regulator, right? I mean, you're trained to be skeptical of everything. And that, that's important. And that's part of your job in venture, but also in venture in a space where there are, let's be honest, like a lot of charlatans, unfortunately, within the crypto space, having a strong BS detector can make a big difference. Absolutely. I'm, Julian, I'm interested in continuing this theme a little bit. And based on your conversations with policy and regulatory executives, what do you hear about their openness and thoughts on the space and perhaps any hesitancy that they have in moving into the sector? Sure. I think, you know, truth be told, there were probably many folks who kind of jumped onto the crypto policy bandwagon and weren't truly ready for the ups and downs. Not that any of us may, may have been. <laughs> and I think some of those folks have been reaching out and have asked to be considered for perhaps non-crypto type roles. That said, ironically, the need right now for great policy and regulatory executives and advocates in crypto companies is frankly more acute than ever. That's because we're going to see in this year, 2023, a lot of potential regulatory and legislative actions. And I think serious crypto companies need to have their own in-house leaders, frankly, providing that in-house advice and guidance and navigation. There's some very good talent now on the sidelines, really through no fault of their own, because perhaps their company was caught up as collateral damage and some of the recent failures. And given that we make it our business to track talent in this space very closely, we're in touch with a lot of talented individuals who do see the longer game and the longer term potential and are keen on the right opportunities, although they're probably being more selective and kicking tires a little bit harder. So again, not for the faint of heart, but for many great policy advocates, this moment is built for them because where else can you make such a mark on a space that's still in formation and then where you can really make a, a meaningful, real impact. Absolutely. And I think speaking to that kind of maturing and also, Matt, to your point around some of the challenges in the space and the charlatans, Sora, you talking on PBS NewsHour post-FTX about the evolution and the maturity of this space and how far there is to go. I'm curious right. on your thoughts from a talent and a leadership perspective. How do you go about working with and building teams in this industry? And what are the kind of skills and capabilities that you're looking for in leaders, especially given that this is still an evolving space and requires perhaps different skills to more mature industries? Yeah, it's a great question. And first, just agree with a lot of what Julian said. And now is the time to enter, right? I mean, if you're a policy or regulatory person, you have any interest in the space, if you have conviction in the space, if you think it's part of the future, there's really no better time or way to have an impact. As you think about the leaders in this space and what attributes leaders require, I think character matters a lot. In some ways, it might be the most important thing, right, within this space is, is having leaders that have integrity and can be trusted. And so 
I think the most important thing is, as a leader in this space is that you have a core set of principles that you abide by. It's a stormy space, right? And you can be sort of tossed to and fro if you don't have a core set of convictions and if you don't hold yourself accountable. And so if there's one thing that matters most, it's another attribute that is really valuable. Again, speaking to kind of the sometimes chaotic nature of the space is an ability to see the forest from the trees. I think that the leaders that are successful are those that can both see the big picture, but they can also drill that down to tangible progress that can be made over a more finite period of time. But that vision really matters because the space is constantly changing. Two other things I'd mention. One is agility and ability to pivot and adapt. I mean, this space has gone through so many different adaptations that it can really take a toll. And you've got to have that ability to roll as things change. And then I'd say, finally, a high degree of tolerance for ambiguity and stress, right? This is, I mean, one of the things that's so exciting about the space is it's building a new economic system from scratch in some ways. And so there's sort of a lot of ambiguity that can be associated with that. And it really requires a special type of leader who is comfortable with that ambiguity and can execute against a strong vision. When you're advising leaders in the space, Matt, be they founders or perhaps executives or board members that are relatively new to the industry, what is that key piece of advice or what are the kind of development objectives and goals that you might give them to ensure that they successfully adapt? I actually would say that if you're coming from the outside, you probably have a lot of value to add. And I would think about how your prior experiences can make this space stronger and think very intentionally how you utilize or or leverage your prior experiences to make the space stronger. I think that in terms of adapting to the space or becoming part of it, it's really something that just requires time. I mean, it's a space where it's being written sort of as we go along. There's only so much you can read, for example, to really understand it. I think you've got to really immerse yourself in this space and use the different sort of tools and products that are being developed here to get a good sense from them. And I think people sometimes miss this, but there's a really strong cultural component to this whole industry. It's not just sort of technology transformation. In many ways, it's a cultural transformation. And I think that's also very important for people to understand. And you can do that by attending all sorts of events that are hosted on the topic. David, a question for you. What do you see organizations and leaders doing to help onboard talent from outside the industry? Yeah, that's interesting. And it's certainly changed a lot in the years that we've worked in the space. When we work with clients, I think we break it down into three main buckets, assessment, engagement, and development. And so the assessment, when we get involved at the earliest parts of a search process, I completely echo there what Matt was flagging around conviction, around culture, and around adaptability. When we're running a search process, we, Hydric, and our clients, we're really looking for an individual's personal conviction. And where that personal conviction is nascent, it's a kind of willingness and an intent to educate themselves. Most of this industry is pretty open source. So it's not like they have to enroll in a school program. They can do quite a bit of research, but it takes, as Matt was saying, time and a lot of conviction. And then the cultural alignment is huge because we sort of group crypto and digital assets together. It's a relatively small industry compared to others. But there are significant subcultures that vary dramatically. I would say that for many, if not all, people moving into the space, 
a comfort with that ambiguity and an agility is absolutely critical because of how fast moving the space has been. And that's one of the big things that you see when people are kind of not successful in, in landing the role that they're seeking. On the engagement side, we advised clients when they identify talent that they want to onboard into their business relatively early in the process to go above and beyond to build that relationship, whether it's short term bringing them in to do a particular need or to build that relationship over time and maintain. And then to really put a lot of thought into the hiring and onboarding in this industry, like many others that have grown a lot during the pandemic, it's very typical to have remote first cultures. While I think that can be seen as a big benefit for people, people that are coming out of traditional technology, financial and other industries are more used to a standardized onboarding plan, face-to-face meetings, taking people out for coffees, lunches, putting the same level of thought into how you engage and onboard people coming into your firm is really critical and a key differentiation. And then on the development side, I think post-hire, retention, education, development, and partnering with the people that come into the organization really does make a difference to people being successful over the longer term. And this space moves incredibly fast. So what you do see is that those people who are successful hires, who integrate well within the environment and the culture and build a strong rapport with the executive teams, they will take on more and more responsibility over a pretty short period of time compared to other industries. Matt, as a follow-on to that, I'd be interested in the dialogues that you have with stakeholders in this industry and how that has changed in relation to regulation over the last few years and specifically the last sort of six months or so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think on the regulatory side, as I mentioned earlier, my first exposure to the space was as a regulator, I guess, over about a decade or so ago. And on the regulatory side, you've seen an evolution. So regulators, first of all, it was awareness and regulators were becoming aware of it. Then regulators started more actively monitoring the space. And then the third phase was positioning and you had regulators developing talking points and positions on the topic. And then now we're in what I'd call the actioning phase. And if we had this conversation a year ago, I would have said that that actioning phase is now like taking existing rules or enmeshing crypto within the regulatory system. I think, unfortunately, as there's an alternative FTX, the actioning has shifted more toward resisting. And I think it's sort of a natural implication of everything that's happened. But we are in a moment right now when there's very strong resistance from regulators in general toward, toward the space. I think if you're a founder in the space, when I talk to founders and advise founders, regulation really has to be part of your strategy from day one. And in fact, a general counsel or a chief compliance officer really probably needs to be one of your first five to 10 hires. And so this has got to be something that you're thinking about from day one and that you are building as if you were regulated with an expectation that at some point either you'll be regulated or you'll have regulated counterparties. But I think that the onus today is really on founders in this space to know the regulatory implications for their companies and frankly, to prove to regulators that they can be trusted. And I think that the founders that are successful will be those that are able to do that over the next few years. As we head into this actioning phase with regulation as part of the strategy, what would you say are some of the kind of newer concerns that founders in the industry are raising to you? And what are the talent implications as a result of those concerns? 
Yeah, like I think that the concerns today are kind of the same as they were before, but they're just more acute. Whereas before FTX and the other events we've seen in the industry, you might have wondered how a regulator might think about a specific product you might offer. And you might think you might have some period of time to kind of test the waters. Today, you have to be much more intentional in thinking about what your risk appetite is and knowing that unfortunately, you're not going to get much clarity beforehand. You really have to build in this space with an expectation that regulators are always watching. And unfortunately, I think it's not really possible at age to just go in and meet with a regulator in good faith before launching a product. You have to really have done your homework and know that you're on very strong footing. I think the talent implications here is an interesting question. I mean, it's no doubt you need very strong legal compliance and risk professionals from the get-go. I think one thing that makes this space unique is it's still being defined and there are no black and white lines. And so you need people with seasoned judgment to help you weigh the trade-offs and make the best decisions. And to some extent, you can, of course, work with outside support. But at the end of the day, as a CEO or another executive within a company, all of those folks have to own this area. Matt, I'm interested in looking back in the midst of time when you first got your exposure to this space and trying to make a transaction using Bitcoin and subsequently as a regulator offering this space. With the benefit of hindsight and all the change that's happened even in the last months and year, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time? When I think about crypto, I mean, just kind of taking a step back, when I think about crypto and digital assets and kind of the blockchain ecosystem, there are many different ways of thinking about it. I think about it as new economic infrastructure. So if you think about the evolution of fintech, first phase, we might have called sort of the lipstick on a pig phase where people were building really nice interfaces for consumers, but they were built on top of fundamentally broken infrastructure. And to me, that's what makes this space so exciting. And so my advice to others thinking about entering this space is that you've got to have a perspective. I mean, you've got to have a perspective on how you think the world is going to evolve and the impact of this technology. And I say that, and you've got to have conviction. I've talked about that before. You've got to be willing to kind of accept that at some points in the sister's evolution, maybe you're going to show up at the dinner table with your cousins for a holiday meal, and they're going to look at you with side eyes, right? When, when they find out you work in crypto, but it's such an interesting ecosystem that I think requires you to be in some ways all in or all out. And I don't mean that in the sense of, you know, you have to think the same way as everyone else within the ecosystem. What I mean is that it is so all encompassing that if you're going to enter the space, you just got to dive in, I guess is what I'd say. And as I was mentioning earlier too, the winds change directions a lot in this space. And so you've got to be ready for the good times and the bad times. But I think if you've got the core conviction and you have your North Star, whatever that North Star is, you've got to always sort of remember what that is and stay focused on that. And if you do that, I think it's just a very exciting space to be involved in. I mean, it's like building a new set of infrastructure from scratch. And to me, that's very exciting. And that's what drew me into the space. Julian, as you speak to leaders in the space, particularly those in and around the kind of policy and regulatory areas, is there a common theme that you've been hearing in terms of things that they wish they'd known before entering or things that they've learned upon joining? Well, I suppose like everyone, they wish their crystal balls had been working a little bit better. 
But I know that from the outset, the majority of policy professionals in fintech and financial services and crypto assets have wished Congress and regulators, whether that be the SEC, the CFTC, the OCC, Treasury, and that's its own sort of debate, like who's going to be owning this, would have been able to provide clear direction and guidance and a regulatory framework. And I'm not saying that companies crave regulation, but I think they do crave clarity. And it's interesting that we're now seeing Europe kind of potentially pulling ahead of the U.S. in this regard with some proposed legislation called MICA, Markets and Crypto Assets, that's going to establish kind of harmonized set of rules for crypto assets and related activities. So I think that's something we hear from a lot of folks in this space that they wish that we here in the U.S. would sort of get its act together and at least coalesce around who's going to regulate this and what that's going to look like. And I do think this year will be where a lot of the action does take place. And I think some folks have also wished that some more thought and energy could have been applied to develop some clear use cases for crypto, which are starting to emerge. And I think that's going to enable broader and wider adoption. And that will in and of itself demonstrate to regulators and legislators that crypto is a force for good and social inclusion by lowering transaction costs, by allowing for greater access to financial services for underserved groups around the world. And as we uh, bring this conversation to a close, I'm going to ask you both to uh, get out your crystal balls famously on the blink in 2022. So let's hope we have a better chance for the next year. Julian, I'll start with you and then move to you, Matt. So looking ahead at this year and heading into next, what are the specific leadership skill sets and capabilities that you think will be most important for leaders in this space to help organizations meet strategic goals? So I think in the policy space, and Matt referenced this earlier, and I completely agree, you know, one's reputation and character for being an honest broker is critical. That old saying of, you know, my word is my bond, I think is still very much applicable in the policy world. A few other skill sets I would just cite would be adaptability. The crypto space is constantly evolving and changing, so leaders need to be agile and address their strategies accordingly. Good communication skills. Policy leaders need to be able to communicate effectively with many different stakeholders, such as regulators, investors, customers, employees, partners. They've really got to be able to explain and break down these complex concepts into simple terms and to bring people along and build trust around that. Risk management skills. Leaders in this space need to be able to identify, assess, mitigate the risks associated with crypto assets and activities. And they'll be able to do that if they have a clear understanding of the regulatory legal risks that are involved. And I'd say finally, you know, vision. Like all good leaders, they need to work with their CEO and board and stakeholders to ensure they have a clear vision of the positions they want to take and stake in terms of legislative and regulatory directions. They need to be able to articulate those goals and values. So those are some of the things that I think will be critical. Yeah, and I mentioned three things. I mean, one is a strong perspective and point of view on what the world is going to look like in a few years and combined with the pragmatic ability to navigate your company through these turbulent waters and make difficult decisions when those arise. The second is an ability to motivate and hire a strong team. I mean, that perhaps never mattered more in this space than now, but potentially might even be harder now than before. And then finally, I'd say it's humility and integrity 
and an ability, I think, to connect with others. If we're kind of now thinking again about sort of regulation and policy, like an ability to forge meaningful relationships and earn the trust of not only regulators and policymakers, but the public more broadly. That was an excellent summary. Thank you. Thank you both for taking the time to speak to us today. It was a pleasure to get your take. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.